What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this Friday, October 28th, the final weekend of the month of October 2022. Lots to do uh, here on this busy weekend program, week eight of the National Football League is upon us. Preview of the surprisingly on paper marquee games that are on tap for Sunday, as well as the week eight picks against the spread, like we always do on a football Friday. Uh, of course, we will get into last night's Thursday night game between the Baltimore Ravens and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We will recap that here to begin the show. And the 2022 World Series will begin uh, here tonight on Friday night. I will preview that, give you my World Series prediction, get into that. The Yankees bringing back Aaron Boone. Welcome to Mediocrity uh, 2023 and indefinitely onward uh, for the New York Yankees. I give my two cents on Boone. Uh, coming back and Aaron Judge, if there's any validity to him uh, wiping his social media feed uh, clean, not clean, but unfollowing the Yankees on Twitter and Instagram. Where we will begin is with uh, last night's game between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the uh, Baltimore Ravens. As the Ravens take care of business, win back-to-back games for the first time this season, uh, winning by the final score of 27 to uh 22 improving to five and three on the season three and one away from the bank mt bank stadium here in baltimore and for the moment putting the putting a little separation between them and my cincinnati Bengals, who they currently hold tiebreaker uh over in uh in afc north uh supremacy uh to break down this game uh i let me do uh, the Raven side of it first, and then I will uh, do the Bucks and Brady last. Uh, from the Raven side, this is a game that the Ravens had to win. You know, they went out there. The Buccaneers had missing corners, Sean Murphy bunting. Uh, their secondary was decimated heading into this game. Ravens' uh, game plan offensively heading into this game was, you know what, screw it. Let's just have Lamar Jackson do. Let's just have Lamar Jackson go out there and see and try his best and see if he can pick apart the uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers depleted secondary the best he can. So what happens? They have Lamar throw the ball, uh, throw the ball a ton. Doesn't end up working. They only they only had three points in the first half. No touchdowns. Red zone drives and drives getting inside of uh, Tampa Bay territory, stalling out, ending in a field goal. Bunch of punch. You go ahead and you look at the play-by-play sheet. Uh, they had they, it was punt, it was punt, field goal, punt, 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 and turnover and turnover on downs. So they can, and then and when they uh, got the break of all time, having back-to-back offensive drives, when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, return man fumbled the uh he muffed the uh he muffed the punt Delaney muffs the uh punt and is recovered uh by the special teamer Seymour they give the Ravens the ball at Tampa's 6 yard line the Ra- here it is it's like oh well here's an opportunity for the Ravens to right the wrong of them four plays 23 yards first drive ending in a punt they steal a possession uh, here, here at the beginning of the game, knowing that Tampa Bay gets the ball to start of the second half, here they steal a possession. So you have two opportunities.
opportunities to at least get a touchdown on the board back to back without with Tom Brady staying and remaining on the sidelines and the Ravens walk away with the field goal. They could not generate anything on offense in the first half. Lamar Jackson incomplete passes, inaccurate throws left and right. The communication with his wide receiver with his wide receivers was off. He got a he got into a little bit of a flow. Him and Mark Andrews and the Timmy Buccaneers said, huh, we going to we're going to stop that right here right now. Lockdown on Mark Andrews couldn't throw to him the rest of the rest of the night. Throw in the fact he left the game early with the soldier with a shoulder injury did not return. The passing game for the Ravens was 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 chaotic. Not only was Lamar inaccurate with his throws, the timing was off. Not to mention the Tampa Buccaneers' uh, pass rush made made his life a li- made his life a living hell. Three sacks in the game. Uh, you know, every single time you turn around, Lamar Jackson was stepping up in the pocket, stepping back, running around the circles, trying to buy time, trying to find wide receivers open downfield. Many times had to tuck and run on the night he. Uh, nine carries for foot, nine carries for forty-three yards. So the Timber Buccaneers defense really did a hell of a job in the first half, when the Ravens were were pass heavy and tried to take advantage of their depleted secondary, and the and give Buccaneers defensive pass rush, give their pass rush credit in the first half. They did a hell of a job uh, compensating for for their losses in the secondary by getting after Lamar Jackson, making them making them run and making them rush his throws, and really just making the Ravens offense. Lives a living hell because they because the Ravens were were they were screw the running we're just we're gonna beat you strictly with Lamar Jackson's arm it didn't work in the first half it only resulted in three points where the Ravens do Greg Roman to his credit who has been heavily criticized by me the media and all the Ravens fans out there for the last few years and especially in the first half of the game last night goes out there and says you know what guys pass passing game isn't working for us this team can't stop the run worth a damn. When they when they, when they when they allowed the no names who you couldn't pick out of a lineup from Carolina ran rampant all over their defense five days before said so you know what we're gonna go back to our bread and butter uh, and see and, and try to exploit the uh, the the Buccaneers defense's weaknesses like Carolina did five days ago do what we do best and that's run and cram the football down your throat. Or down their throat, I should say. What happens? Ravens, you know, Lamar Jackson, who who threw the ball 38, 38 times and threw the ball nearly as much in the second half. What happens? They pound the rock. They throw, they run the ball in total in the they ran the ball in total in game thirty three times with uh, Kenyon Drake and uh, Gus Edwards sharing the majority of the load. Combined running for combined running for eighteen carries. For uh, 127 yards, 65 plus 62. Yours truly is not a math genius. Uh, so let's just double check. 127 yards on the ground with a combined 18 carries. Uh, and they pound and they pound the rock. And, uh, and they ran over in the second half alone. Second half alone, the Ravens ran for over 200 yards. Uh, and they just ran the football down the Buccaneers' throat. And they... And they had zero zero answers for it after the defense did a hell of a job in the first half uh really not letting the ravens go crazy when they did run the football in the first half and also getting after lamar jackson uh and uh and and really shutting down the ravens passing attack after a after a few nice completions and it looked like it was going to be a lamar jackson mark andrews night of course mark andrews injury also uh shut that down but while he was out there on the field you saw the bucks do a hell of a job uh clamping down on him it, Forcing incomplete passes, getting good hits on them, 
uh, and, and, and prohibiting Mark Andrews from taking over the football game. Uh, and but and then the Ravens in the second half, Greg Roman again to his credit, phenomenal uh, game planning in the second half and adju- and, and halftime adjustments. Says you know what, it ain't we thought it was going to work for us. It's not thrown in the trash. Forget about it. Put it in the shredder. Let's do what we do best. That's run the football. Had over two hundred rushing yards in the in the in the uh, in the second half. Controlled time of possession. Kept Tom Brady on the sidelines. Ravens. One in time, Ravens won in a time of possession uh, with uh, th- with 38 minutes and 23 seconds of offensive time. Uh, they were uh, they were uh, they averaged about they averaged a little over six yards of play, 74 yards of offense, 74 plays off on offense, five or oh, excuse me, 453 total yards on the ground. Ran for 11 first downs and were six of 13. On uh, and were six of thirteen on third downs and had twenty-seven total first downs in the game. This is the game that the Ravens had that the Ravens uh, had to have a game that the Ravens needed to win and 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 the and it was a game that they just need just to go out there play Raven football, dominate their opponent, keep Brady on the sideline, and just uh, you know it doesn't always necessarily have to be flashy. But it's a game that you. But it's a game that you. But it's a game that you got to dominate. And in, in, in the second half, Ravens did a phenomenal job of uh, did a phenomenal job of doing that. Uh, and especially you look at the Ravens' schedule, and they're trying to keep not keep pace, but keep one step one step ahead of Cincinnati in the AFC North division uh, race. Trying to keep one step ahead of them with their with their. Uh, lack schedule that they have going into the bye. The Ravens, with their schedule, took care of business beating Cleveland on last Sunday, uh, won against Tampa last night. Then they got a long layoff, the layoff that the Bears were fortunate enough to get, and you saw how much it did them wonders in their win against the Patriots on Monday night. They get the long layoff, although back-to-back road games, but they get the long layoff. They got off Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Extra day on Sunday, and they play the first Monday on in, the first Monday in November, November the seventh against the Saints, uh, against a hobbling, uh, beleaguered Saints team in the Superdome on November the seventh. Then it's a bye week, and then they come back home to play the Carolina Panthers the uh, Sunday before Thanksgiving on November twentieth. Al Michaels said it during the broadcast the other night. The Ravens play one game. One game in a three-week period, one game. One, which is hard, which is hard to believe. They get a long lay, they get a long layoff Monday night, and then bye week, and then we'll see uh, when we're about to call for the turkey against the Carolina Panthers, which which will do the Ravens tremendous favors to allow their guys to rest up, uh, to allow their to allow their guys to rest. Mark Andrews, aforementioned, uh, had to come out of the game with a uh, had to come out of the game with a shoulder injury. Had to come out of the game with a shoulder injury. Uh, who else was also on the injury report that I will give you that I'll uh, read for you right here? Mark Andrews had to come out. Mark Andrews had to come out of the game. Of course, Gus Edwards, uh, who who beat up his hamstring in the game, who beat up his hamstring during the win, allow him to uh, allow him a chance to rest up. Rashad Bateman, who reaggravated his foot injury, had to come out of the game. Uh, had to come out of the game last night, 
and uh, Marlon and Marlon Humphrey, who played last night, was questionable heading in with a hamstring. Uh, it'll allow him. It'll allow him. Mark Bateman. Just to just to name a few guys that the Ravens, Calais Campbell, who didn't play last night, uh, allowed the Ravens uh, a chance. Uh, Patrick Queen, who came up, who came up hobbling during uh, during the period of last night's game, allowed many of of uh, of the Ravens' best players who were either injured heading into last night's game or or, or who are injured coming out of last night's game, allow them a chance to recover and heal with them playing with the long break in between last night and against and their next game against the Saints uh, on November 7th and then of course with the bye week and then it's all systems go from the Carolina game November 20th then uh, and then on the road against Jacksonville, home against the Denver Broncos uh, and then at the and then on the road against Pittsburgh, on the road against Cleveland, home against Atlanta, the Ra- the Ravens hardest the Ravens hardest game on the schedule from here on out, folks, is against Cincinnati Week 18, which could, which could very well decide the division. So and the thing with the Ravens again, their biggest and I tweeted it out on uh, Sunday. Uh, when it looked like they were on their way to another double-digit collapse against Cleveland, their biggest enemy is themselves. Because who's to say that if, as long as the Ravens keep themselves upright, uh, which is a big if, because uh, this team, I have never, outside of San Francisco 49ers, this team gets bit with the injury bug more times than you can shake a stick at. So as long as they keep themselves upright and they don't beat themselves, blowing double-digit leads and, Harbaugh stays out of the way with going for it and kicking the field. They there should be no excuse why the why the Ravens shouldn't be thirteen and three heading into their game against Cincinnati Week eighteen, which could decide the division. Now the Ravens would be in some trouble getting the one seed because they lost the game to Buffalo earlier in the season. In the second conversation, they don't lose another game, and Buffalo who's only lost one game this season were to drop two, they would be in a hard situation for them to get the one because they because Buffalo would have the uh, tiebreaker over them uh, head-to-head. And that's why I said, I tweeted last night, um, the, my Cincinnati Bengals have no margin for error. Bengals have a, Bengals have a slightly harder schedule than the Ravens do because the Bengals got to play because the Bengals have to play uh, Kansas City, because the Bengals still have yet to play Buffalo, and then on top of that, they got to play Kansas City. And if you want to count it as a hard game, they got uh, they got Tampa on the road. If you want to count it as a hard game, and Tennessee, who's trying to compete for a division, and so their schedule, although doable, it's not easy. The advantage for Cincinnati, though, is that the, is that the Kansas City and Buffalo games are both home games, and they should have Jamar Chase back uh, by the time by the time they get around to the thick of the season in December. I'll get to Jamar Chase and Cincinnati in specifics as we get deeper into the program. The other flip side of this game is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, ladies and gentlemen. Should I hope when they went to bed last night and they hit the when they went to bed last night and hit the knees and they woke up this morning that they thank the good Lord that they're in the NFC South, which is the which is this year's equivalent of the 2020 NFC East, 
because this division stinks and the Buccaneers stink. There is no continuity with this team. There's no continuity. There's no flow. There's no rhythm. There's no chemistry. There's they they lack discipline. They had you know they they, they lack discipline. They had uh, a false start a false start penalty. Leonard Fournette went early on the two point on the two point conversion. It was one of their last. Uh, which was one of their last uh, gasps at uh, at trying to um, trying to get back into the game and make the game interesting. False starts Leonard Fournette. Uh, you know, Mike Evans running the wrong routes in the end zone, which could have ended up in an interception if Marcus Peters catches a ball that hits him right in the chest. Uh, you know, Brady overthrowing uh, overthrowing Mike Evans in the back of the end zone uh, multiple times. It seems a mess. They they can they cannot they can't run the they cannot run the football. They ran the football uh, collectively as a team last night, which they couldn't run it against uh, Carolina on Sunday. The Buccaneers ran the football a total of fifteen times for forty four yards. They can't run the football. Brady's receivers are, are, it's 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 a, it's a complete slop fest. Overthrows, misthrows, uh, the. Uh, the pre-snap penalties all over the place. I don't know what the hell Todd Bowles does. What Todd Bowles does when he's standing there on the sideline, he just stands there with his arm folded, with his arms folded, with that same blank stare, stupid look on his face. Does nothing. This team clearly misses being under the leadership and guidance of Bruce Arians, who, albeit was a little rough around the edges, was a little intense. He 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 held he held his team in check. He held his team in check. You didn't see a lot of these stupid, uh, you didn't see a lot of these stupid bonehead mental mistakes that this football team does, and you know, and we've and we discussed it on Tuesday. We've discussed it. We discussed it after the uh, Pittsburgh game, the game, the game before, uh, the game before uh, the uh, Panthers game. This team, you, Brady's not not entirely Brady for. We know the reason why, but he's not all in. You know, not practicing on Wednesdays does this offense entirely zero favors. I understand forty five years of age, he's earned the right. Just because you've earned the right doesn't necessarily that doesn't necessarily mean that you exercise it, especially on this, especially given the the path and the pattern that this football team has been on. Uh, has been on to start the seat to start the season. Uh, it's it's just it's been a complete mess. Missing a, a week and a half, two weeks in training camp, been a mess. Injuries, team has been an absolute mess. Can't defense can't stop the run, a mess. And let me tell you something right now, Tom Brady. Is washed, and I'm not saying it as a hot take. I'm not saying it, you know, the Max Kellerman Cliff theory. No, but it's time for us to sit back and admit that uh, that Tom Brady's washed. He's washed. He's done. He's through. C- finished. Kaput. It's time for him to say goodnight. Tom Brady, ladies and gentlemen through eight games this season, has two first-half touchdown passes. That is a career low. Through eight games of last year, he averaged two touchdown passes per game in the first half. 
Okay, he is multiple games under 500 as a starter for the first time in his career. He hasn't had a worse record through the first eight games of the season in 20 years. He threw one touchdown pass last night, got sacked three times, and his numbers to begin the season are not numbers that if I was Brady, I would be proud of when I go and look up my stats on the internet. Okay? Tom Brady this season is has a 65% completion percentage, which isn't bad. 2,267 passing yards. But his... And granted, he's only thrown one interception. But the downside is that he's thrown nine touchdown passes. He's thrown nine touchdown passes this season. Nine. He hasn't thrown double-digit touchdown passes since the Chiefs game... And which, and even that was garbage time, in which he's thrown three. Dallas game, he threw one. Saints game, he threw one. Green Bay game, he threw one. Atlanta, he threw one. The Steeler game, he threw one. Carolina, he didn't throw any. Last night, he threw one. The only exception has been the Chiefs game when he threw three, and the majority of those touchdown passes came in garbage time. He's tied for 10th in the league in touchdown passes. 10th. 18th in QBR. 10th in touchdown passes. Tom Brady is looking like 2015 Peyton Manning. Tom Brady is washed. Tom Brady is the prime that we have known. Tom Brady to play at the elite level for over 20 years. is It's It's over. It's done. It's 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 not coming back. It after last season, it's it's gone for good. Can he still sling it? Can he still still throw a spiral? Does he still have, you know, great arm strength? Yes. It's not Ben Roethlisberger where he, you know where it's five yard dink and dunks, and outside of that, he's he's you know he can't complete the forward pass. No. But is the Accuracy and consistency as good as it was? No. It's the precision with his throws, the chemistry, the cohesion with his wide receivers being on the same page what it was? No. Touchdown passes, down. QBR, 18th in the sport. Getting sacked a lot, holding on to the ball too long. Tom Brady is finished, folks. And yes, he can sit. And yes, he can. You know, the Bucks can win a division. You know, nine and you know, nine and eight, ten and seven, eight and nine. My opinion would still be the same. The high level of play that we've been accustomed to seeing Tom Brady play for all these years is is a thing of the past. Okay, he's done. He bit off more than he can chew. It's time for him to go home. It's time for him to go home. He has nothing left to prove. This isn't hurting or affecting his legacy, but it's time for him to go. It's time for him to go. Period. End of discussion. It is time for him to go.
He looks miserable, miserable, miserable out there on the field. Doesn't look like he's having any fun. There's no joy, no excitement. It's a, it's a competitive fire, but it's a competitive fire that of of discontentment and frustration. Instead of uh, instead of uh, you know, competitive spirit and nature. I it's it, I'm seeing a different Tom Brady than what I've been than what us as football fans have seen for not me personally, but for his career over the last twenty years. For me, the last thirteen to fifteen years. time for him to go home. And I said it at the time. I thought, you know, the feeling of him coming back was nice for the fans to see him again. But I think that with his career and him personally, I think it was the wrong mistake. I said it then at the time, back in March, seven months ago. Say it again. He It was great for the fans to see him play and to see him on NFL on Sunday still competing, I think it was a win for us. It was a win for the fan. I never got the chance to see him in person. Thought that the hope and the, and the opportunity was over, and he came back. Now, I, and I, you know, oh yeah, we see Brady in person. You know, finally we get one more chance to, see you know, it's and, and and nice to see him versus Mahomes one more time. Him versus Rogers one more time. Him versus uh, Lamar Jackson one more time. That was the positive that that was the that was the 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 win and the benefit of him coming back but as far as for him personally i anticipate this bucks team to be better than this i anticipate in a wide why in a wide open nfc that the bucks will be more in line and in a position for them to be super bowl contenders and to be a team that I picked to go to the NFC Championship game. But I knew, and I said it, that Brady could possibly be making a mistake here. And it turns out he has. Been off more than he can chew, and he should have stayed retired. Not only is he dealing with this, uh, with this football career, with the team being 3-5, and five, he's also dealing it, and I got to talk about it, public issue it's in the public eye he's a public figure gotta talk about it be real be authentic about it so it's affected his life with his family and his marriage getting divorced and the thing about this and in the realms and i'm going to comment within because it's not it's different than and the thing about him getting divorced is different than so many marriages of professional athletes that hasn't worked out is that it's not like that, it, you know, that they've, you know, arguments behind closed doors about stuff, about personal stuff that happens in the house or infidelity, that stuff. You know, it, it, you know, you, the privacy, I get, I get that more and I'm able to understand that. And I'm like, okay. 
It's it's a, it, it, one has nothing to do with the other with how they're playing. In this situation, though, Tom Brady, the football player, is the reason why Tom Brady, the human being, Tom Brady, the father, Tom Brady, the husband, is going through the rough patches that he is right now. Because Tom Brady, the football player, who we see in the public eye, him and who he has been to the public that that the public has known for decades and for I and people have known for over for a little over a decade for years, seen competing win Super Bowls. It, it, it that's what's causing the friction, not infidelity, not you know anything of like a private personal matter, you know. Uh, you know, not taking out the, you know, not, you know, you get you married folk out there know what I'm getting at. The root of all of this has been Tom Brady, the football player who is in the public eye, who is a public figure. Him deciding to retire, which is a public decision, and then and then deciding to unretire, which is a public decision, a public affair, because in the realm. That of which we know and discuss and like, which is sports. And the thing that has been Tom Brady's best quality, the thing that has led him to be as great and as successful and as legendary as he's been throughout his career, his ego. All the quarter being what the hunt the six round draft pick, hundred ninety ninth pick in the two thousand NFL draft. The Drew Bledsoe controversy. You know, people going on TV in the mid two thousands saying he's done, he's done, he's this, that, and the other. Two thousand seventeen New England Patriots slow start to you know slow start to the season. They're done. They're through. They're they getting blown out. Kansas City and with in the banner in the game they rose the banner. You know they're done. The past dynasty is finished. This is the end of the past dynasty as we know it. Two thousand, you know, two thousand eighteen is no chance they're going to take down the the young upstart Kansas City Chiefs. None of that. Two thousand twenty, he leaves the Patriots. You know, underappreciated, didn't want to pay him. Riffraffed with Belichick. There's no way he's going to go to a new team. Me included said this. No way he's going to go to a new team. Team that's not coached by Bill Belichick. Team's a little sloppy. Not exactly as buttoned up as a Bill Belichick team as he's accustomed to in New England. No way he's going to go to a new team. COVID year. Not win a division and win a Super Bowl as a wild card team. And every single time people have 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 dissed Tom Brady and said he couldn't do it. He couldn't do this. Couldn't do that. He's, he's internalized it, the Michael Jordan approach. I took it personally, and he goes out there, kicks ass and takes names and proves the people wrong. And his ego and how he th- and how highly he thinks of himself as a football player and as a person, it, it fuels that competitive fire in him. And his ego, one of the biggest reasons why he's so successful. Because he's got that pride that, hey, you're not going to talk, you're not going to doubt my ability. You're not going to talk about me this way. I'll show you, da 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 His ego, which has been his biggest uh, component to his success, is now his biggest poison and his own worst enemy. 
resulting in his piss-poor first seven weeks of this season and even crossing over to what's happening off the field with his marriage. Promised Giselle, this is it, this is it. All the years, Giselle was, was wanting him to come home and come home upright, not see him get hurt, come home upright, be a father, be a husband. He he was like, okay, I hear you. Just a, just a little more, just a little more. Just a, 45, I'm going to play the 45, and that's it. 45, turn 45 season, I'm going to walk away. 40, it's, this is, look, I'm telling you, this is it, this is it. I'm not going to, this is it, this is it. Okay, fine, retired. Finally gonna retire, put it away, won my championships, went to Tampa, won there, come back one last season, see if I can repeat. But I got my seventh championships, ten Super Bowl, all the accolades that he has, records. All right, that's it. Done. Then it gets leaked out by Schefter before Brady has an opportunity to say something, sits on the retirement, and 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 his ego one more time creeps up and says, you know what? Let's go show it and prove to Adam Schefter that you don't decide when I'm done. I'll decide when I'm done. And there was one last time where his ego, you know, where his ego got the best of him. It was it was one too many times where, as Skip Bayless puts it, the quote-unquote psycho Tom in him, you know, went into override mode one, 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 one time too many. And now he's, re now he's reaping the results of it. So although I feel for Giselle because I, because I believe that she does she does want what's best for him and wants her to, to you know wants to have that 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 family that family thing she wants to have the wholesome family the husband and the house raising the kids looking after the kids after all the work and all the sacrifices she's done over the years so I get that. So you know, like what, like you know, and you and like the op, and like the mindset of you know, what more could you possibly accomplish? What more could you possibly accomplish? You're the winningest player in the history of the sport. What more do you have to accomplish? You even went to another team first year there, COVID whole nine yards, and you won there. That's a wild card team, no less. Something you've never done before, and that's win three road games to get to a Super Bowl. So it's like, and so I, I, I feel for her on that. And, and this is how I feel with all these divorces, whether it's between celebrities or not, I feel for the kids. They, they, they shared two kids together. The kids didn't ask for, uh, you know, they didn't ask to be brought into this world. They didn't ask to sign, sign up volunteer for, you know, for, for their parents' lives to, for their parents to be celebrities, for their parents to be worldwide, world renowned superstars. Lives always under the microscope, always, 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 always in the public eye. They didn't ask for that. They just know them as mom and dad. And they deserve, and they, when they came into this world, they thought mom and dad, you know, dynamic, they will always be there together for better, for worse, for rich or for poor, for, for rich or for poor. Like the vows they took when they got married, what, I think 13 years ago. And then it's like, all of a sudden, you see mom and dad not getting along, arguing back and forth. They start, you know, worried, start to get upset. It's unnerving. Then, you know, Brady's ego has to deal with that. And then all of a sudden, they're, they're, you hear rumors, you hear murmurs, you hear murmuring. People around you get to talking, internet, TV, radio, whole nine yards. 
Then all of a sudden, you get, the, you know, mommy and daddy ain't, ain't together no more. They don't live together anymore. They don't sleep in the same beds. They you have they have parents where they don't talk to each other, don't speak to each other. And who ends up being the collateral damage? It's not Bucks fans. It's not his players, his teammates, his coaches, me or you, the media, football fans everywhere, or not even Giselle and Brady. It's the children. Their collateral damage in this. Didn't ask to be. Didn't have to be. But it's one of the harsh realities of divorce. And that's what they are. And my heart goes out to them. Because no child should have to A, experience it no matter how famous your parents are. And no child should have to go through it. They should... Every child that comes into this world deserves to have their parents, regardless of who they are and how much money they make, deserve to have them together at least throughout the duration of their childhood. When they grow up 18, 19 years of age, either go to college or graduate college or just straight up just leave the house where they can fend, for, you know, when they can live their lives on, on their own and they don't and they don't need their parents. As far as dependability and all that and being raised and having a parental figure guide their life and everything else. So that's that's who I feel bad for are the two children. In this case, I feel bad for Giselle, feel 50 times worse for the children, person who I don't feel bad for. And if it's harsh, hey, what the hell? It's, It's Brady. He brought it all on himself. He brought this three and five start to the season on himself. He brought his subpar stats on himself. He brought the distraction with with his personal life being under the microscope and being all over the headlines on himself. And he brought this divorce on himself. Nobody asked him and nobody held a gun to his head telling him to come back when he retired and made promises up and down to Giselle and his family and whoever else that he was finished. Nobody had a gun to his head forcing him to come back. That's a decision that he made. And as Brady knows, as a grown-ass man, 45 years of age, actions have consequences. Pride comes before the fall, folks. The bigger, remember that old saying? The bigger you are, the harder they fall. He chose this. He chose, he he sat down with his thoughts and chose to come back, knowing good and full well that he was playing with fire and the consequences that could develop or could uh, ensue with his decision. Made his bed, he's got to lay in it. Does it suck that, you know, with him and in relationship with his kid? Yes, absolutely. But this is a mist- this is a choice that he made. And he's going to have to live with it. It's the way of the world. That's how, that's, you know, <laughs> that he's an adult. Actions have consequences. Three and five start. His, his personal numbers. Divorce, all Brady, all not Todd Bowles, not Leftwich, not 
uh, Mike Evans, not uh, Gronk staying retired. No, it was Brady brought this all on himself. And the sad thing is, it didn't have to be this way. Poll question of the episode. Who's your favorite to win the NFC South? The Bucks, the Panthers, or the Atlanta Falcons? Just getting started, we will turn our attention to the World Series. This is the I'm Tell I Tell You This Podcast. Welcome back to the uh, Mattel Like It Is podcast. Switching gears now to the 2022 World Series, which after a five-day layoff begins tonight. Uh, I think that if this series goes the distance, it goes a full seven games, we'll be playing this game uh, right after uh, Cowboys and Giants on uh, Thanksgiving uh, on Thanksgiving afternoon at about 7.30. No, I'm, just, I'm kidding. Uh, but with the long, with the uh, long layoff in between series, because both of them were short, quick games, one of them going six games and the other one going, uh, and the other one going a clean sweep in four, uh, is a long layoff in major league baseball, uh, which, you know, you, eh, could you blame it? Could you blame it on the sport? Uh, I don't think you, I don't think you could. Because that, because in fairness to the league, it had been you know uh, it had been you know quick rapid fire trying to get the postseason in without prolonging it uh, without prolonging it for too much longer, and they did and you know teams did have to have a break you know heading into the uh, heading into the uh, heading into the World Series. So I mean, what are we gonna do? You this, but I understand that they got that they got unlucky because both of the series ended on the same day. What were we supposed to do? You know, have the play the World Series on uh, last night? You couldn't up against football. I mean, you could have done. You could. You could have moved it up to uh, move it up to Wednesday. What are we gonna do? Have war, but have World Series game one be played on Wednesday. Game two up against the Thursday night game and then have Friday off and then have games three and four in Philadelphia go up against college and NFL football with uh, Packers and Bills. It'd be counterintuitive. So uh, and then you couldn't have them give them one day off in between series because that just wouldn't be fair and wouldn't be right to uh, either side. So they were they were in a, they were stuck between a rock and a hard place, and they basically had no choice but to ha- but to uh, have the series start today on Friday. Really, I, in a perfect world, you would like it to start sooner, but it's way it's the way the cookie. Uh, it's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. Uh, so they'll start, and then if you were to start it, you know. So they took the, so they, you know, bit the bullet, 
had the long layoff on a Monday, you know, Monday through Thursday layoff. So, they, you know, so they don't go up against, uh, th- they don't go up against Thursday night football with the Bucks, you know, with Brady and Lamar Jackson, uh, granted on Amazon Prime, but still. Um, and then they also, and then they, you know, they'll sacrifice going up against the, going up against a football game one night, at least within the first few days of this series. And that's with the, uh, and that's with, uh, the Monday night game, uh, between my Bengals and the Cleveland Browns. It's an AFC. It's one of the more under, you know, nationally Browns and Bengals doesn't resonate the way that Steelers and Ravens does to a certain degree, Steelers, Bengals, and next up with, the, although it didn't do well ratings-wise on Sunday Night Football because it was up against the Mets and the Padres, elimination game. But uh, the steel, you know, it does the the Browns and Bengals is a very it's 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 a it's a rivalry doesn't have a lot of uh, jazz and it doesn't have a lot of. Um, substance oomph behind it Bengals and uh, Browns on a national level that's more of a state of Ohio deal with an in-state rivalry with the division Cle- Cleveland versus Cincinnati so it you know it's not it doesn't necessarily going to resonate resonate excuse me across the country the way say Steelers and Ravens would um which which is albeit a you know it's it's a rivalry that resonates from New York to uh, New York to Los Angeles, you know, back in the heyday, you put Steelers and Ravens on Sunday night football and Monday night football, you know, 20, 20 to 25, 30 million people going to sit down and watch it. Um, so anyway, that's neither, uh, here nor there. So the major league baseball, I'd rather take the chance of putting it up against Bengals and Browns, uh, with Jacoby Brissett behind center for since for, uh, for Cleveland, uh, it would rather take their chances going up against that on Monday night, uh, rather than going, rather than starting their series on, uh, th- starting their series on Thursday and having game three in Philadelphia go up against Bills and Packers, uh, rather than instead of, you know, two non, well, not two non, but, you know, rather take their chances going up against the, inf- you know, the, su- the, 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 you know, the Monday night game rather than, the uh the Sunday night game and it's gonna be a hard time for me to be uh for me to be not inclined to watch Game Theater World Series but watch it with the attentive eye like I will like I will game one on Friday night and game two on Saturday night. It'd be hard, you know, because when when the Bengals are on everything that everything else that's up you know, ever, ever any uh, sport that's up against the Bengals, you know, it, it gets pushed. It, it, unless it's the unless it's the Orioles, it gets put. You know, it gets pushed off to the side. You know, the uh, Bengals when the Bengals and Packers were exchanging missed field goals in that overtime classic last October of 2021. You know, I did not watch. You know, the first few innings of 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 that thirteen inning thriller between the Rays and Red Sox. I saw I saw the ending of it, and I was all in once the Bengals game was over. But when the Bengals, especially if the game's close, close and the game is tight, I am not. I ain't going to be paying too much attention. You know, when the bank when the Bengals are on, so it's going to be a hard, difficult task for me. You know, I'll check it. I'll probably you know the most I'll probably watch that game. Just admit, just be full transparency. The most of that game I'll watch live probably would be during halftime 
uh, because we we during halftime, you know, dead period of of the Bengals game, and if the baseball game, you know, drags its ass and will be you know four hours long, I'll of course see the ending of the game once the Bengals game goes off. But I will be fully I'll, me me and Bengals and Browns fans will be the only people I'll be fully inclined uh, with the baseball with the Monday night game on Monday and not give a hoot about the World Series until until the convenient moment presents itself during the uh, during the during the sequence of the game for us to be fully inclined uh, with into the uh, into the World Series. So anyway, I get on I go off on a tangent, but that's neither here nor there. The bottom line is that the World Series does begin to does begin tonight and um it is a matchup between the National League champion Philadelphia Phillies and the American League champion uh Houston Astros. Astros playing in their fourth World Series in the last six years. Phillies it's their first uh world it's their first World Series appearance for them. Uh, since 2009, first appearance in 13, first appearance in 13 years for them. Um, this the Astros had 19 more regular season wins than the Philadelphia Phillies did in the regular season. That's the second largest disparity in regular season wins by teams to meet in the World Series all time. The only World Series with a larger difference was in 1906, in which the in which the 116 win Chicago Cubs lost to the 93 win Chicago White Sox. Um, and the thing about, and the thing about this series, or not the thing about this series, just a little tidbit, the, uh, Astro, the Philadelphia Phillies in a regular season, you go back and look, the Philadelphia Phillies won 87 games in a regular season, the, uh, the Houston Astros won 106, so if you do the math, the Astros won 106 in a regular season, they won three games against, uh, they won three games against, they've, they've, seven and oh, they've yet to lose a postseason game, they've won three games against Seattle, they won four games against the Yankees, you do the math, Six and the six and the three. That's six and three. That's nine plus four. Nine plus four is thirteen. Houston Astros carry the one. Houston Astros have won a hundred and thirteen games in the regular season. The Philadelphia Phillies, who won eighty-seven games, had to play the extra round. They won three games against. Excuse me. No, check that. They won two games against St. Louis, eighty-nine. They won three games against the uh, against the Braves, which makes for 90, 91, 92, 92 wins, plus the four against the Padres. You go ahead, get your handy dandy calculator on, calculator out. You do eighty seven plus the two. That's eighty nine plus three. That's ninety two plus four. Ninety six. So even with the differential even with the regular season the Astros in total including the postseason they've won 113 games the Phillies have won 96 games it will take 117 total wins for the Astros to win a championship it will take 100 wins solid right down the middle for the Phillies to win the championship which I found to be quite which I found uh, to be very interesting but as far as uh, I'll do game one, break down game one, and I'll go to who I think is going to win this. Se- who I think is going to win this series? This is a very interesting matchup for game one. I think the Phillies are going to are going to win game one. 
because Ver, A, Verlander historically has not been very good in the postseason. He's 0-7 with an ERA of over 5. He's been very well in the postseason games, excluding the World Series. But in postseason games, he's pitched with Detroit in 2006-2012. Uh, and with the Astros in 17, 19, and soon to be here in 2021, uh, excuse me, 2022, uh, he, heading into tonight, he is not, again, winless and with an ERA of over five. For whatever the reason, whether he's with the Tigers or with the Astros, he cannot. He has not pitched well historically in the postseason. I think that number will. Uh, I think that. I think the trend will continue here tonight. Uh, Verlander. He's thrown fifty-one percent. His percentage of fastball use thrown at three feet or higher uh, towards the batters. It's at fifty-one point three percent. That's the third highest in all of. That's the third highest in all of baseball. You ask me, Mojai, why is that important? Well, let me read you the hitters that that can hit the high fastball. In the Philadelphia Phillies lineup, Schwarber, who's hitting, who can, he's who's hit two ninety, who's hit two ninety nine against high fastballs this season, six twenty seven slugging percentage. JT Realmuto's hitting three twenty three against the high fastball, six seventy seven slugging percentage. Harper three thirty three four oh seven. Nick Castellanos three oh five four seventy five. Alec Baum three forty four sixty eight. Them, including Schwarber, Riamuto, Harper, Castellanos, and the rest of the Philadelphia Phillies team, they as a team is hitting two fifty four against the high fastball with a slugging percentage of four thirty nine. That is the best in all of baseball this season, which does the Philadelphia Phillies a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous service. You go back and look earlier in the go back and look earlier in the, in the season. The last Monday of the regular season go all the way back to October the third, uh, which which is when the last time the Phillies were in October. Aaron Nola pitched uh, that night, and he put up to and he put up a six two third inning performance, two hits, nine strikeouts. Astros got shut out, couldn't hit. Only guys that got hits that night were Jordan Alvarez, Hensley, who Hensley, who came off the bench and pitched it for uh, Alex, who came off the bench and hit in Alex Bregman's spot, got a hit, and that was it. Only two hits, and the Astros struck out twelve times. Uh, when uh, when uh, when uh, Aaron Nola was last on the mound for uh, for uh, Philadelphia in Houston. Tonight he is on the mound for Philadelphia. On the mound for Philadelphia in Houston, uh, he's got a two two and one record with three point one twelfth ERA and twelve excuse me eighteen strikeouts here in the Phillies a postseason run. I think this game is absolutely imperative, uh, absolutely imperative uh, to 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 decide what to decide who this series is going to run through. You know who's going to take control and take the series, take the bull by the horns, and uh, and who will be on the fastest track to becoming 2022 MLB champions. Uh, Verlander's had a shaky postseason. Uh, shaky postseason was uh, was okay. Not anything about at home about against the uh, against the Yankees was uh, was atrocious in Game One against uh, against Seattle. Aaron Nola's put together uh, quite a few. Uh, uh, Good starts during the Phillies postseason run. Of course, I read you his numbers against uh, Houston the last Monday of the regular season at the beginning of the month. 
Um, and I and I and of course the Phil the Phillies lineup does exceptionally exceptionally well against the high fastball, which has been which has been Justin Verlander's uh, go to go to uh, weapon uh, here in this in this renaissance of a season that he's had here in two, here in 2022. So I do think this Philadelphia Phillies lineup got Hos- got Schwarber hitting leadoff, Hoskins, Riamuto, Harper, Castellanos, Bohm, all those guys that I read you, uh, except for I don't believe I read Hoskins' name, but all those guys that I that I uh, read that I read to you a few moments ago, they're jam packed and sandwiched in the lineup uh, next to each other, whom you can't avoid. And then Stott, Segura, and Marsh, the 7, 8, 9 hitters for Philadelphia. Astros have Altuve, Pena, Suarez, excuse me, Suarez. Alvarez, Bregman, Tucker, Guriel, my guy Trey Mancini hitting 7th. Chaz McCormick hitting 8th. Martin Maldonado in the ninth spot behind the plate. Um, I think this is a, the, the Philadelphia's have a tremendous opportunity to uh, to get to get on and high, to to jump on Justin Verlander early and often, like the similar to what the Manners did in Game One of the ALDS. The only thing is, though, if you hold, you get onto the lead against Houston, I like Houston's opera. I like Houston's. I, I'm nervous, nervous about it. But I generally think that if Phillies go out there and get to it and get to a four nothing or a five nothing or six nothing lead within the first few frames of the game, I like their chances of holding on to it and getting the job done and winning game one. Game two, game two, Valdez one and oh one point four two ERA. Zach Taylor one, Zach Wheeler, excuse me, one and one with one point seven eight ERA. They Wheeler was scheduled to pitch tonight in game one. They pushed him back an extra day to get him an extra day's rest. We'll see if that will pay dividends for Philadelphia. But I really like the Phillies' chances of uh, of winning game one tonight. Yes, you, you could say, make the argument that the long layoff and the emotional victory that they had over San Diego could, could has the had the possibility to, to mess up their flow, to mess up their uh, and slow down their momentum. And they've been flying since game one of the wild card series in St. Louis, where they were down to their final few outs and were and were you know and were staring at a one nothing uh, series deficit, and then they came and then they came back out. Of nowhere took and stole game one again from San Diego and uh, and have not looked back since. Uh, so you know their lo- the long five day layoff or so could come back to bite them in the ass. I don't anticipate it that it, I don't anticipate that it will because I think this team is just clicking on all cylinders. Can do no wrong. They got a powerful lineup. The bats are just absolutely have been sensational. And the other thing too that does Philadelphia well in the, not only in this game but in this series, they got the best player. The, Alvarez has cooled off since the Mariners series. Altuve is just starting to hit again. Tucker hasn't hit. No, 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 no. Best player. Heading into this series on paper. Now things could change by month, by, by the end of the weekend. Things could change, but heading into this series on paper, the best player in this series going in, without a shadow of a doubt, is Bryce Harper. They got first got the best player heading into the series on, on out of the two. They got a hell of a chance to win this series. Hell of a chance. And I like their chances, and I and I like their chances in Game One. I like their chances. I like their chance. The thing though, 
is that I'd like them to start off the series hot, but young team, inexperienced team, Astros back-to-back World Series appearances four times four times in the last six years, been there, done that, got the T-shirt, literally, and Dusty, you know, the Andy Reid of his sport, still trying to, or not, not the Andy Reid no more, but more or less the Marty Schottenheimer, if you will, of Major League Baseball, has an opportunity to get one, I think he will. I think the Astros, granted, they've yet to, the Astros are not going to sweep. I'll just go out there and get this out the way. They're not going to sweep. They've yet to lose a game the entire postseason. They're, they are going to lose a game or two against Philadelphia. Philadelphia is too good. Their bats are too hot. And the Astros, you know, have had their moments, even in their wins, where they have the one big inning, and the one big inning makes up for their piss-poor three, four, five, six, seven innings worth of offensive production or lack thereof that, you know, where they where they can't get anything going. They can't hit with runners in scoring position. They can't hit just in general. And they're fortunate to get the big blast or capitalize on a big inning, and that ended up being the coup de grace, whether, whether it was – whether it was against Seattle or against the Yankees, they were you know they were able to capitalize on having the one beginning when their opponents, whether it's Seattle's bats or the Yankees' bats, falling flat, not being able to produce any semblance of a major league uh, baseball of a major league baseball uh, caliber offense, that could get them in trouble in this series against Philadelphia. Could get them in trouble. You know, where Philadelphia, you know, inning after inning after inning, they, you can't stop them, and they can do nothing but score. And the Houston Astros, you know, yeah, they'll have a nice inning here or there, but, you know, two good two good innings, you know, compared to the Astros, compared to Philadelphia's good five, where they put, you know, a run here, two runs here, one run here, three runs here, you know, makes up for, you know, one three-run inning, and then that's all she wrote. So the Astros got to be prepared, you know, getting into a few games where they may have to outscore Philadelphia in order to beat them. The Padres learned that lesson. The uh, the the Braves learned that lesson. Sometimes, and I guarantee it's going to happen uh, quite a few times in this series, you'll get a, you'll get a pitcher's door in there, but there's going to be a few games where you're going to have to outscore Philly to beat you. Where you know the the bloop and the blast mentality, and just make sure that just that your starting pitching and your bullpen doesn't blink like was their formula against the Yankees. That's not going to work against this team. It might win you a few games, and in my opinion, I don't think it's going to win you four. May win you one or two, but at, at least twice in this series, the Astros bats going to have to find a way to to blow up the scoreboard. Altuve's got to you got to. Out of the funk, Tucker, out of the funk, and put together some offense. Because if you're not careful, whether your bullpen stacks, whatever it is, this Phillies team, you blink, and they'll drop six, they'll drop five, six, seven runs on your head like it's nobody's business. So keep that in mind. Uh, keep that in mind as well. Um as far as who I think is going to win this series, I like the Astros in. I like the Astros in uh, six. I think the Phillies will win a game, and uh, I think they'll win a. I think they'll win a game in Houston. 
and I know for sure that they'll win a game in Philadelphia. But the Astros are not the the one thing you're not you're not going to out intimidate the Astros. They 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 they're too they're too good of a team, too much of an experienced team to be intimidated. You're not going to be able to your way of beating them is not going to be to intimidate them. So they're not going to be intimidated when they go out and deal with that raucous environment in Philadelphia the way that the Padres went. No, it's not going to happen with this team. But I do see the Phillies winning a game on the road and a game at home in this series. I think the game on the road that they'll get, call me crazy, I think it's going to be tonight. I think the Phillies win tonight, but the Astros find a way to uh, find a way to win uh the series in six games experience and I think it's Dusty's time and this is the best pitching rotation bullpen and starter starting rotation that they've had out of all of their runs but I think the Astros get it done in six games but I think they get it done but the key also with Houston take Bryce Harper out of this series like I said, he- heading into the, uh, like I said, in between games two and three in the Seattle series, Seattle got to quiet down Jordan Alvarez with, the, they did, but little did I know that you know that the that the Astros bats were you know the Astros bats the Martin the Manners bats would go quiet, but the Astros got to take Bryce Harper out of this series. They allow him to go crazy. This series could be over in six with the Phillies winning it. And the Phillies do have a hell of a chance to win this thing. So don't take them lightly. Um, Something else I wanted to say. Oh, also, the Astros at home, very spotty at home in the World Series. Other series, they, they're borderline unbeatable. World Series forever the reason, uh-uh. The, the they had home field advantage against the uh, against the Nationals uh, against the Nationals and against Atlanta last the last two World Series appearances they've had home field advantage they lost every home game in the in the uh, they lost every home game in the National Series and if I were to go back and look I think they lost I know they won a few. I know they won a few um, at home last year. Let me just double check because the World Series was clinched. Uh, and, and it was clinched on the Astros' home field. They lost game. Okay, so they lost game one. They won game. Uh, they won game two at home, but they lost game. They lost game one of last year's series against the Braves at home, and they lost game six at home. So they lost two games at home last year, games one and game six, and they lost all four home games against the Nationals three years ago in their own building. So it's not like that the Astros are unbeatable in the World Series at home either. They've lost two series to National League East opponents. We'll see if the Phillies can make it a hat trick. Should be an interesting one. Take a break. We turn our attention to week eight of the National Football League. This is the I'm Telling TIS podcast.
show kick tits, think pink hitters. My Detroit players, Tim's for my hooligans in Brooklyn. Head right, hit the head right, Biggie there, and I. Papa been smooth since days of under rules. Never lose, never choose to. Bruce, Bruce, who? Do something to us, talk to us. Do something to us, wanna do us, screw us, screw us. Yeah, Papa and Pop. Close like Sparsky and Hutch, stick to clutch. Yeah, I squeeze three at your cherry M3. Bang every MC easily. Welcome back to the Amatucka TIS podcast. Switching gears back to National Football League in week eight. As we are about the at the second to last uh, week of the first half of the 2022 NFL regular season, lots of games on tap, marquee games on tap that uh, may ha- may or may not have future playoff implications. A part of it. Before I do, real quick, going back to the baseball, the que- the Q and A of the episode, Q and A episode. By the way, you can. Uh, give us your opinion of uh, you know participating in the poll question and the Q and A of the episode on the Amatelica TIS with Jai Shields podcast channel page exclusively on the Spotify app. The Q and A of the episode is who is your World Series pick and why? Who is your 2022 World Series M- not pick 2022 World Series MVP pick 2022 World Series MVP pick and why? Uh, let's get to week eight in the NFL. Uh, Mark Keegan, and wouldn't you know it, who in the world would have thought a month ago that the Panthers and the Falcons would have <laughs> would have playoff implications as far as who as far as first place in the NFC South? Who would have thought that? But it does. It's the three and uh, four Atlanta Falcons. Taking on the uh, two and five uh, Carolina Panthers, uh, if the Panthers win this game, they will be in first place. Uh, they will be in first place of the AFC, AFC, the NFC South. If they win this game with a three and five record, they would tie uh, the uh, the Buccaneers with a three and five record. If they were to take care of business and win on Sunday, virtue of tiebreaker, they would be in first place. If the Atlanta Falcons win this game and improve the four and four, they would be in first place in the in the NFC West West, excuse me, with tiebreaker not being a factor because uh because of course four and four is better than uh is better than three and five. So this game is for first place in the NFC South again a month ago, two months ago, back in late August or or late September. Who in the hell would have thought that this that this game in week eight week eight would uh would decide who would be in first place of the uh of the NFC South? Because I surely uh did because I surely did not think so. Um. Carolina, of course, coming off of their uh, coming off of their uh, loss, uh, not loss. What the hell am I talking about? Uh, coming off of their uh, victory 
last week against the uh, against the aforementioned Tampa Bay Buccaneers, complete and utter domination. The Carolina Panthers were able to run the football tremendously well uh, against uh, against uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, which we mentioned at the top of the show uh, has been absolutely horrendous this year at stopping the run. Uh, to get you the specifics, the Carolina Panthers with uh, P.J. Walker at quarterback. Ran for ran for four minutes leading the charge. Ran on fifty on fifteen carries. Ran for one hundred and eighteen yards on the ground. Hubbard nine carries, sixty three yards, and a touchdown run. Uh, the entire Carolina Panthers team twenty seven rushes for one hundred and seventy three yards on the ground. So I'll be interested, intrigued to see how the uh, how the Timber Bay. Why the hell do I keep on saying the Buccaneers? How the Atlanta Falcons do uh, a heavily run-dominated football team. Uh, they try to exploit the Bengals' weaknesses uh, with no, uh, of course, with no uh, D, with no DJ uh, Reader, their nose tackle. The Bengals haven't had him for quite some time, and also without one of their best linebackers on Sunday, no Logan Wilson. They try to exploit that, trying to run the football. Uh, against Cincinnati and try to control the clock, but when you're having to play from a deficit every single time you turn around, every single uh, offense possession, every single time you turn around, having to play from a deficit because Joe Burrow's chucking the ball downfield to Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase, and T. Higgins, you know, you can run the football effectively, but you get to a certain point where you got to be able to score uh, touchdowns and move the ball downfield through the air. And the Atlanta Falcons, for the most part, were not able to do that. Uh, they ran the football as a team for only 107 yards. Al Guerre, however you pronounce his name, 16 carries, 50 yards, was their leading rusher. As the Cincinnati Bengals did a tremendous job of stopping the run against Atlanta last week. So it'll be intriguing to see uh, how well the if the Atlanta Falcons are able to get their uh, able to get their uh, very good rushing attack back on track against the Carolina against the uh, Carolina against the Carolina Panthers, who stopped the Bucks uh, their last time. And and believe me, it was it's a fairly easy task because the Bucks rushing offense is one of the worst rushing offenses in the National Football League. So we'll see if they can replicate that performance against the Atlanta Falcons this week. That's game number one. Game number two, 49ers and Rams. Rams coming off of a bye week, and the 49ers coming off of a uh, nasty slice of humble pie served up by Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs last week. Crazy how these two teams have already gotten their uh, annual uh two game annual two uh rivalry games out the way before the month of, before the month of November if you, as you all remember Rams came into a Levi Stadium Monday night back in the beginning of the, of this month and the 49ers absolutely kicked their teeth in Jimmy Garoppolo and 49ers this time returned to the scene of the championship game back from uh back from January and they look to see if they can uh, get themselves back on track against uh, against the against the Rams team that's struggling. We'll see if this bye week has done themselves wonders. We'll see if Sean McVay won't be so trigger happy to abandon the run like he has the first few weeks of uh or excuse me the first uh, 6 weeks of the uh, of the Rams season this year we'll see any adjustments with the offensive line do anything to to uh, stop the uh, 49ers rushing attack and if the San Francisco or excuse me the uh Los Angeles Rams defense has any plan to uh you know to uh, shut down Debo Samuel who went crazy in that Monday night game and also be intriguing to see uh how uh 
how uh, Chris McCaffrey does with a full, with a full week of preparation within the 49ers, within the San Francisco 49ers system. That's game number two. Game number three between the Giants and the Seahawks. That's another game. Who would have thought uh, heading? In, who would have thought week eight a month ago? Uh, a month ago in week four or two months ago in, during preseason in late August. Who would have thought that the six and one six and one New York Giants going up against the four and three Seattle Seahawks would be a big time game? That on paper you could argue it might be a better game than Rams and uh, San Francisco. The Giants, who have yet to lose a road game this season, six and one, six and one on the year. The Seattle Seahawks four and three, two and one at home. Seahawks coming off of a incredible statement victory over Justin Herbert and the uh, and the uh, and the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. Huge offensive performance from the guys able to run the football while extremely well with Kenneth Walker. Defense kept Herbert and the boys. Uh, in check on the flip side. Meanwhile, the Giants coming off of a last-second victory goal line stand in Jacksonville against Jacksonville last week. Uh, got very sloppy at the end. Could have lost that game many different ways. Barkley not running out of bounds on two on two occasions, leaving plenty of time for uh, for Trevor Lawrence to put together a last-second potential game-winning drive. Uh, not to mention, uh, not to mention the fact that the that the, that the uh, Giants offensively got a little got a little uh, got a little stagnant uh, in the second half. The Giants gonna have to play not a perfect game, but a better game that they you know they cannot essentially allow. I mean, you can win this game allowing Geno Smith to make a mistake, but I think especially in that environment, crowd's gonna be electric. And it's almost as if like the Seattle Seahawks have never left as far as being a team to be reckoned with in the NFC. The Giants got to bring their A game. Uh, running the football tremendously well with Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones taking care of the football, which he has been for the majority of this season. And, uh, the, de- and, the, defense, uh, and the defense getting after the quarterback and making Geno Smith's life a living hell, getting him to rush some throws, move, uh, get a little antsy in and out of the pocket. But this should be a, a very, very, very good game between the Giants and the Seahawks. I'm looking forward to it. That's game number three. Game number four between the uh, between the uh, Green Bay Packers and the Buffalo Bills. Green Bay uh, coming off of an embarrassing loss on the road last week against the uh, against the Washington Commanders. We uh, told you about it on Tuesday. How piss poor their offense has been. Inability to run the football. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and his wide receiving core is just as dysfunctional in terms of their lack as chemi- as terms of their lack in chemistry and continuity as it's been all season long. Offense got to be able to score. You got to be able to score and outscore Buffalo in order to beat them because Buffalo against what turns out to be at least as of this moment in time right now this very overrated this very overrated defense. Uh, they got to be able to outscore Buffalo and match them and match them uh, score for, and match them score for score, touchdown for touchdown, drive for drive, pound for pound. Because if because if they fall behind, either that the subtle field goals or go into one of these punting streaks, you'll look up at the scoreboard and it'll be Buffalo twenty. It'll be Buffalo uh twenty four, uh Buffalo or not twenty four. It'll be Buffalo twenty eight. And uh, Packers nothing, or twenty eight seven, or twenty eight three. Shout out to the meme uh, if you're not careful. So the Packers, key for the Packers winning this game is literally their defense 
stepping up and showing out like they did, albeit like they did against Tampa in their win in their win against Brady in Tampa. Their defense replicating that performance, replicating their performance against Chicago in Week Two, and the Packers' offense putting on their best offense performance thus far of the season and. And literally, you're not going to beat Buffalo unless the Bills beat themselves. You're not going to beat them scoring less, scoring less than 28 points. You got to, at bare minimum, to give yourselves a chance, score 28 points in order to beat Buffalo. And this is one of those games where if the Bill, where if the Packers are not, if their heads are not in the game and they start out slow, it could be a long night. The the Rams learned that lesson. They start out, they started out slow. The the Bills made them pay. Uh, Kansas City started out slow, but they were fortunate because the Bills' offense started out slow as well, but yet the Bills still ended up winning the game. Tennessee started out slow week three. What happened to them? What happened to them? They got the teeth kicked in. Uh, the Steelers started out slow against them. What happened? Got the teeth kicked in by Buffalo. Uh, the, the, the Bills started out slow against the Ravens, but the Ravens capitalized on Buffalo starting out slow only to blow it in the fourth quarter. Uh, the the Bills the uh, who else the Bills against um there's another opponent I'm forgetting uh shoot who is it there's another opponent Buffalo played they started uh, anyway but you get the idea the your opponent you start out you start out slow against Buffalo you know they're going they're going to make you they're going to make you pay for it you gotta match them score for score or at least if you start out slow. Do what you can to make sure that they're off. That that they in turn start out slow uh, on the on the flip side, whether it's offensively or defensively. But this is a game that if the Packers are not careful, and they're not running the football tremendously well, not running the clock, working the clock, and keeping Josh Allen and the Bills on the sideline as long as they possibly can, and keeping their clock at their friend instead of their enemy. And, and abandoning the run, which they've made a poor habit of doing the last uh, last handful of weeks this season, it could be a long night. I mean, like forty-two to ten long night, where you you know Jordan Love third quarter long night if the Packers aren't careful, uh, and the Bills basically don't let Aaron Rodgers get hot. <laughs> That's you don't let Aaron Rodgers get hot and continue to frustrate the living hell out of him. You guys should win this game no less than 14 points, in my honest opinion. Lastly, the Bengals and the Browns. Uh, my Cincinnati Bengals, you know, no Jamar Chase, bad hip for six weeks, no surgery. Bengals still waiting to see whether or not they're going to put him on IR, uh, which means if they put him on IR, he would miss a minimum of four weeks, and it's not the four weeks where it works to the Bengals' advantage where – you know he missed three games in four weeks because they got the bye week after the uh, after the after the uh, the Carolina game. They would be four games, so the four games he looks like he's going to miss bare minimum is this week against Cleveland, next week against Carolina, and two weeks after that against Pittsburgh on Sunday night in Pittsburgh, and then when the team makes their return to return to Tennessee the Sunday after Thanksgiving on the twenty seventh. The earliest that he is that he could be scheduled to come back. The earliest, if in if everything you know, if you know, best case scenario, he returns in time for the Chief game uh, on the December the fourth. Takes him five weeks. Returns when the team plays Cleveland for a second time, December the December the eleventh. If he misses the whole six, 
he comes back Christmas Eve against New England and misses the game uh, in Tampa against the Bucks. So we know that Chase will be back sometime this season. The question is, will we see him Christmas Eve in Tampa against Cleveland the second time against Kansas City in Nashville? Or not in Nashville. Um, yeah, no, in, no, excuse me. The question is whether will we see him against Kansas City, against Cleveland a second time, in Tampa, or in New England, Foxborough Christmas Eve. But, you know, it sucks. Bengals fan, it sucks. You know, I was, I was nervous and I started fearing for the worst when I saw him get up gingerly at towards the end of the sec, towards the end of the second half, uh, last week against Atlanta. And although he did stay in the game and was dressed and even, I believe caught a pass or two in the second half against Atlanta, granted the Bengals didn't need to, cause the game was, was no longer in question, but he bit you almost as if it's almost as if he wasn't on the football field and he, you know, did his best to try to avoid contact as best as he possibly could. Uh, he was on the injury report also heading into the Atlanta game. I didn't think much of it. I thought uh, just regular hip discomfort. Turns out it's an issue with this hip that it could be like a little fracture uh, that he won't need surgery for, thank God. But it's just going to be about rest and how quickly will Jamar be able to rest will be the question. Sucks. Tough blow. Hate to see it. Bothers me. Obviously, if I could, I'd give away one of my hips to Jamar because that's how important he is to this football team and this offense. Just when the Bengals' offense is starting to get themselves, you know, back to where they were last year, and Chase puts up back-to-back elite games against New Orleans in his homecoming and against the Falcons last week. Uh, back, you know, and it looks like Jamar Chase is, you know, that after after an impressive. You know, back like he never was gone, performs against Pittsburgh, and he goes away weeks two through, weeks, uh, what, two through six, no, two through five, and then puts back back-to-back performances in week six, week seven, and then it's like, oh, now he's got, now he's going to be out for a month and change. It stings, but this is a test for Cincinnati, you know, how well they will be able to, how well they'll be able to bounce back from this back-to-back games they've won four out of their last what four out of their last uh uh four what are they four they're four and three they've won four out of their last uh math dry four out of the last six games five games now yeah, five games they've won four they started oh and oh oh and two they've won four out of their last Five. Okay, so I got it. They've won four out of the last five games, back-to-back games against NFC South opponents in the uh, Saints and the Falcons. Uh, so they we'll be able to see how mentally tough this football team is. They're able to rally around Chase, rally around each other, next man up mentality. Litmus test for Zach Taylor as well. We get on him all the time about about the play calling and the clock management and getting through a game as as very well I should and we ha- and I have in the past but it's also important to see you know where his bread is buttered and how he will perform not how well he will perform how well he will coach and the coaching job he will do with this team not the X's and O's 
that because that's important too. But whether or not he, you know, he will allow this team to rally around each other, next man up, not sulk, you know, down in the dumps, hang their head, mope. No, it's we got no Jamar, but it's next man up. We got a damn good wide receiver room in Chase and in Boyd, who are number one wide receivers on any other team in the AFC North alone. Step up and let's go ahead. Hayden Hurst done a hell of a job at tight end. Maybe we use Joe Mix a little bit more in the passing game. Let's step up next man mentality. See if we can get this running game working a little more, a little, uh, a little. Uh, see if we can get it going a little bit more than we have had it in the past. Because we know that we're gonna have to compensate, and Joe Mixon and the running game is gonna have to step up, step up a little bit to compensate for the fact that the team's only gonna have to take care of two wide receivers now instead of one. Makes the jobs of defensive backs and defensive coordinators a little bit more easier during the preparation weeks. But let's see if we can go out there, go together, battle together, rally around each other, go out there and take care of business. So we're able to see if the Bengals offense, which has put together back-to-back 30-plus performances, if they'll be able to make it a hat trick against Cleveland uh, on Monday night. Who Cleveland coming off of a, a 23 to 20 loss against Baltimore, which they got after Lamar Jackson made his life a living hell, but uh, they were unable to stop the run. Uh, and Jacoby and Jacoby Brissett, who got sacked quite a quite a bunch by the Ravens in turn last Sunday, uh, couldn't get the job couldn't get the job done. Albeit got screwed over by a uh, false start penalty that didn't exist. But we're not able to deliver the goods against Baltimore last Sunday. This is a game that Cleveland has to have in order to essentially save their season. If they lose this game on Sunday, th- this officially makes it a two-team race. It it's already known, but if they lose on uh, they lose Monday night, it it all but seals uh, the fact that it'll be a two-team race in the North between the Bengals. And the Ravens, aforementioned, Raven, Bengals got to stay pace for pace, uh, win for win with Baltimore in the North because they hold the game, hold that win in week back on uh, October the second over their head, uh, and the Ravens have a have a cakewalk of a schedule compared to Cincinnati, who again have to play still have yet to play Buffalo, have to play Kansas City, Tampa, who knows where they will be in uh, in uh, in December. And uh, a game against Belichick, albeit Mac Jones Bailey Zappi combo, you know, is you can't fall asleep against going up against the greatest head coach in the history uh, of the sport. And uh, so the bank and the bank, like I said, Bengals have no margin for error. Go out there, kick ass, take even there's no even though there's no Jamar Chase, there's still no excuse and still no reason why the Bengals can't win this game. See if you can run the football a little bit. See if you can run the football with Mixon and let and let T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd take over the show. And you and and get and and if it, and put and if it's a Hayden Hurst game where he takes over and looks like Travis Kelsey, so be it. But they got to take care of business, rally around each other, rally around uh, Jamar. No hanging heads, no feeling sorry for ourselves. A little piece of adversity. This team should be mentally tough enough and should be talented enough to deal with it over the next month. They got Cleveland, Carolina, bye week, Pittsburgh, Tennessee. They should be able to go 4-0, even with no Jamar Chase. They should be able to go 4-0. Kansas City, I would be a little bit concerned 
because it kind of because now it, now that the fact that the Chiefs have no Tyreek Hill, you take away T Higgins, it kind of or excuse me, God forbid, you take away uh, Jamar Chase, it kind of evens the playing field a little bit. But we shall see. But we'll address the Chiefs game uh, in early December when we get there. But Chase out four to six weeks. See if well, this is we'll get to see what Zach Taylor. Uh, in this group uh, is made of in the next coming weeks, beginning with their game on Monday Night Football. Halloween night, last time the Bengals played on Halloween last year, the Mike White game happened. Let's hope the Jacoby Brissett game doesn't happen or the Nick Chubb game doesn't happen happen, uh, on Monday night. We take a break, week eight picks, and give my two cents on Aaron Boone coming back. This is the Amatelica TIS podcast. We welcome you back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. Aaron Boone is back with the New York Yankees, um, which is, which in my honest opinion is a huge mistake. Hal Steinbrenner was quoted earlier this week saying, as far as Aaron Boone's concerned, we just signed him. We just signed him. And for all the same reasons I listed a year ago, I believe he is a very good manager. I don't see a change uh, I don't see a change there. And Hal Steinbrenner going on to talk about in, uh, injuries and not breaking the A game against the Astros. Here's the bottom line. Okay, Hal, welcome to mediocrity. Okay, welcome to being mediocrity and welcome to the Dallas Cowboys of the last 25 years. Because that is what your franchise is slowly becoming. No, it, no. You cannot sit up here and tell me with a straight face the season that the Yankees had, where they had a great April, great May, great June, a so-so July, a piss-poor August, and an I September, that this that Aaron Boone and, a, and the way that this team performed against the Astros, that, that, that Aaron Boone is going to be the guy that's, that can lead the New York Yankees to a championship. It's just, and I don't want to hear about injuries. You're the New York Yankees. No, I don't want to hear about injuries. Everybody, had the Astros didn't have Brantley. I mean, it, it, it is enough with the injuries. I, I don't want to hear it. The, the New York Yankees cannot play the injury card. They can't. They Too much money, all those players on the road. You cannot play the injury card. So I don't want to hear about injuries, and he's not the answer. Okay? I, I, I hate to piss on whatever... Love Fest bonfire, Hal Steinbrenner has over Aaron Boone, but he is not the answer. You cannot tell me after losing to him in 19, and after losing a, a pennant to him in 19, losing to a pennant to him this year, getting knocked out by the Red Sox in 21, in 18, and getting knocked out by the Rays in 20, that this guy is, the, he can get you to a championship. Not even win you one, get you to one. He hasn't even gotten the Yankees to World Series yet. Gotten to him. His kryptonite is the Boston Red Sox, the Houston Astros, and one year was the Tampa Bay Rays. You cannot, if Hal Steinbrenner is watching the games on a day-in, day-out basis and analyzes the games and analyzes the Yankees' production like his father did, like the Yankee fans do, and like I, the baseball fan, does, you cannot in all objectivity say to your families with a straight face 
in all seriousness that Aaron that that there doesn't need to be a change in manager. Whether it's the fact that he couldn't come up with whether it's the fact that he, he had a shortstop in constant rotation throughout that throughout the postseason, whether it's the fact that he couldn't come across a concrete leadoff hitter, the fact that the, the, the you know him showing him showing one of the darkest moments in Yankee lore of the of the 21st century the ass the, the Yankees blowing the 04 ALCS to the to the Red Sox and using that as motivational tape I mean uh, taking Garrett Cole out with the bases loaded I mean you name it and that's just within the what last two weeks I'm sure I could go back and find stupid decisions he made against the against the Orioles and against others and against other games and other s- series during the regular season back in the summertime. I'm just bringing up stuff that ha- I'm just bringing up stuff that, that him managing Chad Green in certain games. I'm just bringing up stuff that happened in the last 2 weeks. Let alone the last the the, the previous 6 months and the previous year, 2 year, 3 years he's been the manager of this team. He's done nothing. He has no business still being employed by the Yankees. Neither does Brian Cashman. And the Stein and Steinbrenner is making a colossal mistake holding on to him. Colossal. Because what you're going to get, they'll win their 80, 82, 83, 87, 90, 92, 95 games if they're lucky. Get back, get back into the postseason. If they're not playing the Red Sox, not get bounced in the first round, beating up on an inferior opponent. The Guardians, you know, you name it. And I'll run into Houston again. It'll be the same damn story. Sanity, doing the same damn thing over and over again, expecting different results. And the two kickers are, you might not have Aaron Judge, who's going to test the waters and test the free agency market. Let us know that by unfollowing uh, the Yankees on Twitter and Instagram within the last 24 hours. So you might not have Aaron Judge, which is a huge loss and a huge gaping hole in your lineup. On top of the fact, you'll have a balanced schedule next season. So you won't have the opportunity to beat up, not that the AL East was weak this year under any circumstances, but you won't play the Orioles 19 times a year. Boston's having a bad year, you won't play them 19 times a year and beat up on them. So you won't beat up on the trash within your own division, with, with which depends on you know, depends on which way the wind blows. And you also got to deal with the better teams from the other league: the Dodgers, the Padres, the Phillies, the Braves. Not just the Mets. So. The Yankees, no judge, balanced schedule, could win, you know, barely be fortunate enough, depends on how the season goes, be fortunate enough to finish above 500. What do you, you don't think, you don't think teams that miss, you know, that, that the Orioles won't make the postseason? The Rangers who hired Bruce Bochy, they won. I mean, it's not always going to be a given, especially we saw how competitive the AL East was this year. It's not going to be a given that the Yankees are going to make it back. 
and you're bringing back a guy that hadn't even gotten his team to the World Series yet. Every single time he turns around, he gets outmanaged in circles by Alex Cora, then uh, A.J. Hinch with the trash cans, and now Dusty Baker. I don't get it, man. I do not get it. Uh, but welcome to Mediocrity New York Yankees. Well, I don't know what more you want me to tell you. Anyway, it is week eight in the National Football League. Do it every single football Friday. Week eight in the league where they play. For pay. The Jacksonville Jaguars are two and a half point favorites over the Denver Broncos. Broncos coming off of their week seven loss last week at home. An ugly game against the New York Jets. This is the game in London. God bless you if you're waking up at 9.30 in the morning instead of going to church or doing something in synagogue, something. Uh, than watching this garbage on ESPN Plus, no less. So you got to work to find the games on top of watching bad football. God bless you. 9.30 in the morning, Jaguars coming off of a heartbreaking last-second defeat at the hands of the New York football giants. Give me the Jacksonville Jaguars to win this game by the final score of 17-10. The Chicago Bears heading into Jerry World, Jerry World, Home of the Dallas Cowboys from where they took care of business. And not a uh, flashy game, but a dominant performance against the Detroit Lions last week. Uh, nine and a half point favorites going up against the Bears who took care of business against the New England Patriots uh, Monday night of this week. Give me the Dallas Cowboys to win yet another football game to keep the pressure on the Philadelphia Eagles by the final score of 28-13. We move things along with the Vegas Raiders, who are one-and-a-half-point favorites coming off of their victory against the Houston Texans last week. One-and-a-half-point favorites. They head to New Orleans to take on the New Orleans Saints coming off of a uh, coming off of a uh, their Thursday night loss against the Arizona Cardinals uh, a handful of days ago. Meanwhile, the Raiders, like I said, aforementioned, coming off of trying to uh, dig out of the ditch that they put themselves in to begin the season. Uh, as they look to ride the ship uh, in the AFC West uh, as they uh, try to get themselves in order against the Saints. Give me the Vegas Raiders to win this game by the final score of 27-17. Move things along. uh, Vegas one-and-a-half point favorites by the way in case they didn't mention that the first time. Meanwhile, the Carolina Panthers head to Atlanta for a pivotal AFC. Why do I keep on saying AFC? It's NFC, you idiot. NFC South matchup between the Panthers and the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons four and a half point favorites coming off of their aforementioned loss to my Cincinnati Bengals last week. Carolina coming off of their uh, impressive victory against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers last Sunday. Give me the Atlanta Falcons to get back on track, and to take first place in the AFC South by the final score of 28-13. We will continue with the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are 10.5-point underdogs, 
taking on uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, who are coming off of a bye week. Their last game, they took care of business at home against the Dallas Cowboys to improve the 6-0. Still the only remaining undefeated team in the NFC. Or, excuse me, not just the NFC, but in all of football. Still trying to stay ahead of the Dallas Cowboys in the NFC East. Uh, in this uh, battle of uh, Pennsylvania, the Philadelphia Eagles, give me them to take care of business and prove the 6-0 on the season, beating and dominating the Pittsburgh Steelers by the final score of 35-2-3 as we continue with the Miami Dolphins, who are three-point underdogs who beat the aforementioned Pittsburgh Steelers last Monday night, or excuse me, Sunday night, excuse me, they head on the road to take to take on the uh, Detroit Lions, coming off of their uh, loss last week against the uh, Dallas Cowboys. Turned over the football at infinitum. Can't do that against this very good uh, Miami Dolphins uh, defense and an explosive Miami Dolphins offense with plenty of playmakers on it. Give me the Miami Dolphins to win this game by the final score of 31-14. We shall continue. With the Arizona Cardinals, who are three and a half point underdogs, taking on the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings coming off of their bye week as well. Last time out, they took care of business against the Miami Dolphins. Meanwhile, the Arizona Cardinals coming off of a long layoff, took care of business uh, the Thursday night prior to last night, to, uh, beating Andy Dalton and the uh, New Orleans Saints. They uh, try to uh, improve their record with it. They try to improve their record and keep themselves pace with the NFC West, which has been a struggling AFC West. And now trying to chase of all teams, the Seattle Seahawks, who are currently in first place, who they, who the Seahawks do have tiebreaker over the Cardinals with within the division. To give me the Minnesota Vikings, who are in first place in the NFC South, NFC North. Why can't I speak? I have no idea. Give me the Vikings to take care of business and win this game by the final score of 28-21. The New England Patriots, one and a half point favorites, licking their wounds off of their embarrassing Monday night loss to the Chicago Bears earlier this week, short week, head to New York to take on the red-hot New York Jets, who seemingly find ways to win football games, which has just been a remarkable, incredible story on their part. Give me the Jets to take care of business uh, to win this game going up against Mac Jones, who will be the starting quarterback for now for the New England Patriots. Give me the Jets to win this game by the final score of 24-10. We move things along with the Tennessee Titans. Two-and-a-half-point favorites coming off of a must-needed victory, completing another clean sweep of the Indianapolis Colts as they remain in first place in the AFC South Take they as they head south to the city of Houston to take on the Houston Texans coming off of their uh, Week 7 defeat on the road against Vegas. Give me the Tennessee Titans to take care of business and to win this game by the final score of 27 2-17. We move things along with the New York football giants head, head, uh, head westward to the 12th man in Seattle, Washington. Seattle three-point favorites coming off of their impressive dominant victory over the Los Angeles Chargers last week. Meanwhile, the Giants, aforementioned, keep continuing like the Jets to find ways to win, beat the Jaguars last week. 
Giants are due for a loss, and I like the way the Seattle Seahawks are continuing to play football. Geno Smith's had himself a hell of a season. The comeback player of the year, in my honest estimation, give me the Seattle Seahawks to take care of business and win a grind-out but damn good football game by a field goal by the final score of 24-21. The Washington Commanders are three-point underdogs taking on the Indianapolis Colts. Commanders took care of business beating Aaron Rodgers at home in Taylor Heineke's first start this season. They head to Indianapolis where Sam Ellinger uh, will get the starting nod first game, first starting assignment for him as he will be the starting quarterback for the Colts for the rest of the season while Matt Ryan is benched with his piss poor play and a separated shoulder. Colts are fared by a field goal. Give me the Indianapolis Colts to lose this game. The Washington Commanders to win it by a field goal that Taylor Heineke magic, ladies and gentlemen, by the final score of 27 to 24. Give me the San Francisco 49ers who are four and a, or excuse me, four and a half, one and a half point favorites taking on the Los Angeles Rams. Rams, of course, they are coming off of a bye week themselves as well as they look to try to keep pace in the AFC uh, as they look to keep pace in the AFC, AFC. Why do I keep on saying AFC? I'm all discombobulated. As they look to keep pace in the NFC West with the Seattle Seahawks. So who in the hell would have thought that the, that the Rams would be chasing the Seattle Seahawks to first place in 2022? But they need a game nevertheless, having dropped the first matchup on the Monday night earlier this month against the San Francisco 49ers. They need this game to avoid the sweep and to avoid any potential tiebreaker that will work against them. San Francisco licking their wounds off of their Week 7 defeat blowout victory in which Patrick, Patrick Mahomes and company dropped 44 points on uh, that uh, very, very good San Francisco 49er defense. I don't expect the Rams to do the same to them this week. They return to the scene of the 2021 NFC Championship game from back in January. Give me the San Francisco 49ers to bounce back and win this game by the final score of 24-2-14. We move things along. With the Green Bay Packers, who are 10.5-point favorites, going up against the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are just clicking and are just firing all cylinders. Beat Kansas City their last game in week number six. Coming off of a bye week and only their third home game this season. They've only had two prior home games. Home against Pittsburgh, home against uh, Tennessee in week two. Their third, only their third home game here in the 2022 season. Meanwhile, Green Bay is trying to right there is trying to uh, change the tide of their season and save it before it goes further and further into the abyss. Ten and a half point, uh, ten and a half point uh, underdogs going up against the Buffalo Bills. Give me the Bills to win this game by the final score of 35 to 17, and. Finally, the Monday night game between my Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns. Give me my Cincinnati Bengals favorite by a field goal. 
one last time out going up against the uh, going up against the Atlanta Falcons last week. No Jamar Chase. I don't think it'll be an issue. Meanwhile, Cleveland losing in a heartbreaking fashion to the Baltimore Ravens last week. Give me my Cincinnati Bengals to put together their third win in a row and keep pace with the Ravens in first was being in first place in the AFC North. Give me the Bengals to win this game by the final score of 28 to 14. Bengals get it done. Favored by three points. I got them winning by two touchdowns. The teams that are on a bye week this week, and then we will say goodnight. Uh, the teams that are on a bye week this week are Kansas City. Uh, uh, are Kansas City. We can kill the music here. Our Kansas City teams that are on a bye week. Kansas City for the third time. The Kansas City Chiefs and the Los Angeles Chargers are your two teams on a bye so hopefully you enjoy the World Series that will start on Friday. That starts on Friday night. Got games one and two Friday and Saturday. Game three on Monday. An off day by the time we reconvene here on Tuesday. Week eight of the NFL. Some intriguing games on the slate. Back, uh, Packers and Bills on Sunday night football. Bengals and Browns isn't bad. At least if you're a Bengals fan, you can get into the game. Uh, and, of course, week nine of the college football season and your NBA and NHL to occupy you uh, in the meantime as well. A new episode of the I tell you is podcast in the books. If you like what you heard, new to the program, please do not hesitate to subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatel underscore podcast and the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore ATIS. I will talk to you guys on Tuesday. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. Y'all take care. See ya.